And I think that's where a lot of people, they sit in their pain and they become a victim to it. And for me, it's like, I, I, I fought this for seven years and I could have been a really bitter, angry person at God, at the world, at whatever. And instead it was like, okay, well, how can I use this? to grow? Like, how can I really use it? And now I, I tell people all the time, cancer has been my advantage because I see the world completely different than most people, because I really do see it as, I mean, you only have one life and you are far stronger than you realize, you know, and mm-hmm. that that's what makes you feel good fighting against, you know, the negativity, fighting against the pain, fighting against, you know, if you're going through a divorce, if you're going through a money struggle, it's like still just showing up regardless. Hi friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. If you follow my next guest, Amy Ledine, you know that she puts it all out there. In her intro for her podcast, Effort, she shares that she put a baby up for adoption at 18, had an affair that ended her marriage, and battled stage four cancer for seven years, which I'm happy to say she recently experienced a miracle with, which we'll get into a little later. She's an open book, and she says she uses her mess as her message along with her passion of coaching people to help them up level and become their best self she could easily write a book or 10. i love that she's blazing a trail that welcomes realness forgiveness and vulnerability giving others permission to show up in spite of all their mistakes leaving the guilt and the shame behind so that they can live their best life here and now because after all we're all human and we have done things that we're not so proud of She's a powerful example that our past does not define us. It just helps to shape us into who we are today. Thank you for so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you. What an introduction. I really, really appreciate that. And I'm always like, I am just not worthy of all of that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You are a hundred percent. And I just think it's so great that you are so open about all the things that so many of us lock up and never want to share because guilt and shame can just take you down into a dark place and you can never get out of it. So I just think by you sharing all of these things that it gives us permission to, you know, be real with each other. We all have shit we've done that we're not so proud of. And we've been through that if we shared it, and showed up with compassion and understanding instead of judgment, we'd all be a lot further, a lot faster, I think. Totally. And I think, you know, that's, it's like, there's so many good things with social media, but there's also so many negative things because we do see most people's highlight reel. I mean, I'm guilty of it too, you know, in that we want people to see all the good. The problem with that is, you know, it's almost like toxic positivity, then we start to think something's wrong with us because maybe we don't know how to handle our relationship so great, or maybe we just flew off the handle with our children and, and you're like, what's wrong with me? And then that does lead to shame and guilt, which I really believe like with that, we end up staying like on the ground longer. Whereas like, I totally agree. We're all going to fail. And I think we have to first accept that first and foremost, like you are going to have failures. 
But what shame and guilt do to us is they want us, it makes us stay down on the ground longer. I've seen it in my coaching with fat loss. Like when you have the guilt and shame over around a cheat, it leads into a whole week of cheating versus if we just stop that judgment, we would get up quicker. So I always try to share my mistakes in my mess because I finally had to get to the place where I'm like, all right, I'm going to fail. I'm going to totally fly off the handle. I'm going to do all these things. But the difference is I'm learning from them and I'm not going to shame myself anymore because I did that for decades, you know? Mm-hmm. Just keeps you stuck. Okay. Yep. So I want to back up about 15 years and talk with you about your weight loss journey. So I know that you used your pain of being overweight as a catalyst for many changes in your life. Um, you lost 90 pounds. That's like a small person. Um, so can you take us back to that time in your life and talk about what was that journey like for you? Oh gosh. So I was, I was a chubby kid. I mean, even my mom says it, you know, six months old, they said that they needed to put me on a diet and like, stop giving me. And she was just breastfeeding me, you know, but I was like 30 pounds. And from there, you know, um, my four brothers were really skinny and I was, my nickname was Piglet. And, you know, my mom, again, parents do the best they can with what they know how, like, that's always what I tell myself, just so I don't have that like resentment or whatever. But my mom didn't want to see me maybe struggle or get teased. And she did the best she could, which was she put me on diets starting at like age 13, which I'm, I'm not a big believer in that. I don't believe that kids should be put on diets. I think your behaviors and your, you know, what you're showing them as an example is going to be far more powerful, but my mom did the best she could at that point. Then I think I discovered as a 13 year old, okay, I'm not good enough the way I am. So I started to kind of hide it. You know, I would eat things in secret. So it's not like my parents, even then at that point saw it prior to that, I just was eating what everybody else in my family was, you know, eating and not realizing, Hey, I just was built different. You know, I was obviously, you know, chubbier. Um, so that led to, I mean, by the time I was 18, I had been on, you know, at least 10 diets with my mom. I, she even got me, um, put on Phenermine, you know, Fenfen back in the day, my doctor put me on that. And I did lose quite a bit with that, but again, not learning any habits, not learning anything. I then got married and got, um, you know, pregnant. And after I had my son, I was, you know, had been, he was two years old and I still was 230 pounds. And so I knew it was no longer the baby weight. And I was at the park and I had a moment, I looked around and I saw that the fit, there was, there was a difference. Most of the ladies that were not active with their kids were overweight. They just were. And a lot of the active parents were fit and they were at least, you know, like moving around. And I found myself lethargic and lazy. And, you know, I didn't even want to go push my son on the swing. I'm like, yeah, go play. And so I, I, I was really thankful to have kind of a moment where I'm like, I don't want to be the park bench mom. Like, I really don't want to be this mom that is not wanting to, like, I couldn't fit in the slide comfortably. I couldn't do those things with my kid. And so I came home that day and I signed up for Weight Watchers and just started with um, nutrition. You know, I didn't really know a lot at that point. You know, your habits are kind of what you catch growing up. So like I had a diet of like Totino's pizza rolls. So Weight Watchers was a great like segue for me because at that point it was points and there were no foods that were off limits. And I always say this because as a coach, I don't think that you should have good or bad foods. It's just things you eat more of. So initially I had a lot of points to play with. So I still 
blew a lot. Like every day I'd have like peanut M&Ms at five points and, but I could afford to because I was heavier, but the blessing was it started to teach me that I just needed to consume less. Now, as I got lighter, because once I got about 70 of the pounds off, then it started to get where I needed to change my habits because if I didn't start eating more vegetables and gravitating towards those things and doing meal prep, I would be really hungry if I only stuck to just having the peanut, you know, peanut M&Ms were five points and I only got 18 <laughs> points a day at that point. So it was like, Amy, you're either going to starve or you need to change the way you live. And so, and I totally see it with my children because my 22 year old son was, I call him my Totino's pizza roll kid, because that was when I had poor habits. And honestly, even though I started to fix separate things for me, I hadn't integrated it into my family. And I've watched the difference with him as he's gotten older, like he has those poor habits. I mean, I just share that to be honest, because I feel like a lot of moms go on diets and they don't realize that, listen, you need to be doing this as a family. And so for me, it was like, you know, I used that as the catalyst to change my confidence because it was finally something that I had, you know, control over. Now I will say then I got, I got the bug of fitness. I got into the gym. I was like the, in the first row of like aerobics class where then they started having me substitute teach. So mine was like a natural gravitation into it where I was like, I just love doing this. And then I wanted to help people. And so um, for me, I truly believe it is a catalyst for change because, you know, it's not about the size that you are, because I truly believe that we all are in alignment internally with where we see ourselves, but it is the key that you need to be aligned with the person you visualize. It's like why a few years ago, because I, after I lost my weight, I consider that a place of, I lost it from a place of dislike. I disliked myself so much. So I almost hated my way into losing it. And that will be short-term. You will end up being the yo-yoer because you're not doing it from a place of love. If you're doing it from a place of love, you see it as not what you can't have, but instead like, I need to eat this way because I love myself. I want to show my body respect. So while I'd lost my weight, you know, it's been 17 years, I would say for 10 of those 17 years, I was a very insecure person that even though I'd lost all this weight, I was miserable. My husband at the time was like, what is wrong with you? I love the 230 pound Amy because you are so insecure. You don't ever take off like your cover up at the pool. You're, you're like way more critical of yourself and then you don't socialize. And so for me, it was like, I started to look around. I, I really believe that success with others leaves clues. And I remember being at a water park about five years ago. And I saw this lady that had to be probably a size 12, 14, you know, uh, you know, strutting herself in her bikini. I'm talking, you just knew she was like oozing confidence. Right. And I was like, you know, the reason why she feels it's not about size. It's about, she clearly internally is aligned with herself. She knows that maybe she's not even at her goal. I'll never know. But what I do know is she knows that in this moment, she's living in alignment to herself. And so I learned that it was about chasing a journey and that every day I just need to keep my promises to myself. And even if I'm not at my goal, because being in the fitness arena and losing, you know, 90 pounds, I have a lot of loose skin on my, my, my butt and my thighs. I'm never going to have the fitness competitor booty, but I chased that for so long. Now I just chase me every day. Like, am I showing up for myself? And I have learned to really love myself so much more. doesn't mean I don't want to, you know, make improvements. I think it's important for us always to want to progress and grow, but I'm not trying now to, to hate my way there. And I always say this to clients, like, listen, if you're doing this from a place of like punishment and that you hate yourself so much, you may get there short-term, 
but you won't keep it. You have to change like who you are internally. And, you know, I relate it to a um, person that wins the lottery and loses all the money. It's because they've not changed who they are. And so that's why when you see people gain the weight back, I say, you didn't really change who you are. And that is the key. So that was the biggest catalyst for my change and, and built me enough confidence to know, wow, I mean, if I can do this, if I can lose, you know, 90 pounds, I pretty much can do anything that I truly set my mind to and do it from a place of self-love and alignment. I love that. Oh my gosh. There's so many good takeaways from that. Uh, I love that that woman, I think one of the things that is so attractive is confidence. Like, yeah, when you see somebody out there, whatever shape or size that they are, when they exude confidence and just show up as themselves, that is so attractive. Um, so you said that you had to, um, kind of change your, like your, am I trying to say here? your inside, like you transformed the outside of you, but you for 10 years were still not happy. What did that look like? How did you love yourself again? What work did you have to put in? Oh, you know, I think I finally just got exhausted with just the, you know, on the outside again, people didn't see it, but I probably was up and down and it was only like five pounds, but what the five pounds represented was, um, restricting foods, doing hours of cardio, you know, hating myself. Like at night, my inner bitch would be so mean to me. Like, Amy, just shut your mouth. Stop eating. Like just horrible and caving a lot. Like I'd have the intention of doing something and then not. And so I think just the exhaustion of that and just really looking around and seeing so many fake people in the fitness industry, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I, I really, even if it means I'm going to gain some weight initially, I need to get off this train of doing things from an unhealthy place. And so I, I cut a lot of like, say the cardio, but the internal work was I sat down and I created core values. Like, I don't think, and I hadn't done that since I was like a teenager. I remember in church them saying like, listen, if you don't aim for something, you aim for nothing. So you need to sit down and kind of have like your rule list. Right. And so it was me sitting down and going, you know, and not, and not looking at my past, because I think like in my generation, we, we grew up where we learned about the brain that it was like fixed. Right. And we didn't think that it's malleable and that it could change. Now we see with neuroplasticity, like you can change who you are at any given time. It takes work, but it can happen. And so for me, it was like when I sat down to create core values and say like characteristic traits that I wanted to be, I refused to think about who I was going to shame myself for being or what I wasn't doing. It was, I truly was creating a future self. And then once I had those core values, it's just daily asking myself, is what I'm doing like in alignment with that? Like me not having personal integrity, for example, am I caving here or am I keeping my word here? And so that really helped me. And it's crazy because now I no longer battle the, the up and down of even the few pounds. In fact, I got in better shape because it finally came from a place of like this, the, the external is just the metaphor for me keeping my word inside. You know what I mean? And it was like, that's just the manifestation of me keeping my word. So I say to the clients, yes, I'm a fat loss coach, but what I'm really selling you is mindset. I'm just telling you from the front, it's fat loss. But what I'm really selling you is a full on change in who you are, because if you don't change that, 
You'll be back in a couple years. You may even get lucky and keep it off. For, you may keep it off forever, but you'll be unhappy keeping it off. Whereas now I don't stress about going out for dinner. I don't, you know, because it used to be hot, cold. I'd have like the last supper to get back on my diet. Now it's more like, you know, Amy, does this serve you? And sometimes having the entire butter cake at Mastro's is serving me. Like I'm okay with that. But for the most part, I no longer do things from a place of punishment. I still have those moments. This is where the shame, you know, comes in. I shared this like maybe a couple months ago after I got down here, I hadn't had a, a sabotage moment. And um, me and my daughter had gotten in an argument and, you know, my kids and my relationship with them matter so much to me. And so she was just really not liking us moving down here. And, and so then the mom guilt came in, right? Then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mom. Well, this is what people don't realize about sabotage. When you're in a place of shame or guilt, you're, uh, you will unconsciously go to the, like if you want to punish yourself unconsciously, because that's what we do, you will actually punish yourself in the places that matter most to you. And for me, it's like, I already know what matters most, my nutrition, because I know it matters to me and my DACs, keeping my promises. And it was like, I couldn't believe after doing these for so many you know years, that I watched myself, like I was like almost having an out-of-body experience, watching myself go into the kitchen and look for any crap I could punish myself with. And I shared it the next day on my stories. I said, you know, I bombed it yesterday. You know, thank goodness I preached that your environment is stronger than your willpower because I hardly had any crappy food in my house. I was like, where's my bad food? <laughs> but it was, I mean, I literally was like pissed that I had no crappy food in the house. But it was what I was proud of was it was one day and I was able to get up the next day and recognize that. And I don't shame myself for that. Like at first I was like, do I even share this? Like I'm a coach that teaches this and I just had a full on crappy day, but it was more power because the more that we become aware of it and we don't shame or judge ourselves. Like I made sure when I journaled the next day, like, what am I learning from this situation? What did I learn in this moment as I totally went to try to ransack the the kitchen. And I, and I realized it was all because I didn't want to disappoint my daughter. And that's a really important, you know, thing for me. And so, you know, not judging myself initially would have helped me and go, Amy, you're doing the best you can with your children and probably having some of those mantras would have helped, but I don't even regret having that day because then I shared it. And so many women messaged me saying, oh my gosh, I'm just so happy that like you're human and that you do this too. And that, you know, I'm not alone, right? Because most won't share that. Right. I know. And we all have been there, have our moments. I don't know. It's funny how we sabotage ourselves, but I think for most people, maybe that don't have something in place, like your, your DAC, which we can get into, but if you don't have something like that set up for yourself, then it's easy just to keep going down and down. Like yours lasted a day the next day you woke up a new day, uh, get started with your DAC and carry on where I think a lot of people, if you don't have, I don't know, different things set up for yourself to kind of catch you in moments like that, then it can just keep going downward. And yeah, then you just hit the, hit the bottom again. Exactly. And then the, 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 the climb back up just takes so much longer. I mean, 
fat loss is just a measurable one, but self-confidence is another one where it just takes you forever to get back up there. You know I mean? I only use fat loss as such a great example because it is measurable. You do see it on the outside confidence. We can hide it because we can even try to exude the fake confidence when in reality inside we're really broken. And I think that a lot of us are really actually broken inside and we just don't, you know, share that. So it definitely um, is something that if, and if they don't have a practice, you know, I always say, start with first, you know, keep a little note card on your nightstand. And, and for me, it's at night only because I think that's when a lot of moms just have time to kind of like lay back and it's like reflection time. Right. And that's how my DACs even started accidentally was I just was tired of that inner bitch. And I call it the inner critic, the inner bitch inside me that was just nagging. And she's not nice. She cusses. She's like no filter. <laughs> And so I wanted, I have a task list. I have a to-do list. We had a very successful business, but why this person is crushing me. It's like hurting my confidence. So I started with just a note, a notepad. And I just wrote down the things that were nagging at me the most. It might be like, Amy, spend more time at tuck-ins. Don't just make tuck-ins like your, you know, like last thought of like, good night, you know, like, cause, and that, and again, it might not nag at another person. This is the beauty of creating your own like agreements that nag at you. And so it was like, the things that were bothering me weren't like even money related. It was like, Amy, when you say that you're going to like not cheat at dinner, don't cheat at dinner, you know? And then it was like, spend more time with the kids. And, you know, so it was just me, like, I just, it literally was just like a post-it note. And my goal the next day was, it didn't matter what else I accomplished. I just had to come with these agreements and actually meet them. And then after a few days, I couldn't believe how much better I felt. And here's the key. And this is where people mistake it. They're like, yeah, but I still have all these tasks to do. Here's the thing. When you start to see that you keep your word to these little things, then you know you'll like your confidence actually boils over into your business or wherever you're wanting to actually really make a difference and you show up. And that was where a lot of people are like, whatever. I mean, these agreements, what is tucking in my child have to do with me getting these reports out in my business? Everything. Because if you don't keep your agreements on these little small things, I mean, one, it will eat at you and your voice of compromise becomes louder. Because if you don't learn to let that inner boss like really be the boss of you and your inner bitch takes over, man, your voice of compromise comes out and then it's like you cave to everything. And then it's like you lose your, I mean, I lost my word with my kids for a while because I used to be the one, yeah, yeah, I'll play with you later. And you don't realize how much that matters. Like I tell my kids all the time now, I mean, they know when it's on the card, or if I'm saying it, like, listen, we're going to go later to the store, little things like that, they know I will follow through on. Whereas, you know, for years when I was not doing that, I mean, they'd be the first to say, you know, your word just didn't matter to us. And then that's how, again, behaviors are caught, not taught. It doesn't matter what you teach your kids. It's like what they see, they become voice of compromise cavers too. And I, I mean, I learned it from my mom. I watched my mom, what? Fail at dieting her entire life you know, like with the best intentions, that's what breaks my heart is I meet people that are 70 that still have not reached their goals. And they don't realize it all starts with that voice of compromise and not winning the battle inside our head. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that. Yeah. On the card, it's the things that are nagging at you because there's always going to be a to-do list that's forever and ever, like it never ends. So when you actually check the things off that matter, and mean something, yeah, then everything else can fall into place because then it's that nagging feeling that you have like, okay, I'm going to start with 
this, but never get to the things that matter, then yeah, it just makes such a difference. Um, one thing when I first saw you, um, on the inner circle, I was doing 75 hard and then Mm. you were on the call and Carrie had said something, or you had mentioned something about you did 75 hard while going through chemotherapy. And I was like, holy shit, like that totally transformed uh, the way that I thought and built my confidence. When I said, when I picked the day after my birthday, I'm doing 75 hard, like throw the cake out. It was the summer. I don't care about the booze. I'm doing this and uh, we'll go on hikes. We went on vacation and I just planned for it and did it. But for 75 days, making those promises to myself, and I didn't have to restart because I was like, F this after day one of drinking that much water and feeling like a blowfish. Um, I am not starting again. And then day two was good, but yeah, I, when I heard that you did that while doing chemotherapy, I'm like, holy shit. Like, of course I have to complete this. That's probably on like day 36 or something, but yeah, when you say you're going to do something and you show up and you make those promises like that totally changes the game and transforms your confidence and how you show up. Yeah. And, you know, for 75 hard, I wanted it to be hard for me because I, I mean, and, you know, I always say this is my advantage that other people don't have. And that is having cancer and having really painful days. I have truly learned that our test days are our best days. So as much as we don't want to like have bad days, I truly know that if I beat, if I win a bad day, I know the next day is it's like, it actually shifts your identity. So like, let's pretend that you have an identity and we can put a number on it. And let's say, you know, you're at 75 and hundred is your goal. In order to get to a hundred, you have to win test days. Like you, in order to really shift the identity and really build new confidence, it has to be challenging. And so I used to be someone that was really afraid of, of anything that would be rocking my boat. It's like why I didn't like to even go to social situations on diets, because that would be considered a challenge, right? Now it's like, oh, a test day, bring it on. You're going to make it, you know, when I had to travel and do chemo, I'm like, I'll show you. And so for me, it was, and it also saw, it really taught me. I mean, I try to align myself and, and listen to people that have gone through really painful things. And I listen to like, say David Goggins or people that you're like, how do you do this? And the key is they're no different than you. I am no different than anyone else. I don't have some superpower internally. I just was, you know, I got cancer and realized oh my gosh, you know, my, I am way stronger than my body. Like my mind can take me so much further. Doesn't mean it was easy. I mean, there were many days that, you know, I, I cried, you know, we've gone to the gym and I'm like, I can hardly even do anything, but I'm just going to get, you know, some days it was two times on the bike. You know, I would even move my bike outside so I could do my outdoor workout and just get on my bike because I'm like, at least I'm pedaling. And I think that's where a lot of people, they sit in their pain and they become a victim to it. And for me, it's like, I I fought this for seven years and I could have been a really bitter, angry person at God, at the world, at whatever. And instead it was like, okay, well, how can I use this to grow? Like, how can I really use it? And now I I tell people all the time, cancer has been my advantage because I see the world completely different than most people, because I really do see it as, I mean, you only have one life and you are far stronger than you realize, you know, and Mm -hmm. that that's what makes you feel good fighting against 
you know, the negativity, fighting against the pain, fighting against, you know, if you're going through a divorce, if you're going through a money struggle, it's like still just showing up regardless. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. When you, I know, I think you have mentioned many times before how, yeah, you've used your cancer to live fully and live your best life. When you first got the diagnosis, um, like it wasn't good. Like the survival rate, you truly are a miracle. So when you first got the diagnosis, what did that look like? Well, for me, I, and I will say in the first two years, probably I honestly was not in the place that I am now um, because I, I was focused first on how did this happen? Because I wasn't a smoker or anything like that. So it was like, how did this happen to me? And I think that was a, a big mistake. And I mean, I think it's just natural. That's why I like to talk to other cancer patients because I didn't see the power in my mind. And I was you know, living in a place of I'm a victim and don't get me wrong. I am. It wasn't like I asked for this, but I started to look around and again, success leaves clues. The first thing I did, cause they told me I had a less than 1% five-year survival rate. So I was like, I need to find who are these survivors who are the less than 1%. Because if you see your brain as a program, it's a software program that you can decide to update. I was like, I need to find all these survivors. So I literally Googled like stage four lung cancer, Ironman athletes. Like I was going for extremes. So I wanted to find people that hadn't just survived. I wanted to see them like doing crazy things. So I started to flood my brain with all of these, you know, amazing things so that my brain would no longer go to fear because my brain was going to fear a lot, like for those first couple of years. And so when I started to see the possibility, I'm like, okay, I don't need to be this person. And then from there, I really learned to protect myself. Like my doctors knew that I didn't want to know the stats of what the side effects were of a certain drug. You know, I didn't want to know like the negative things because it didn't serve me. You know, it just really didn't. And I'm all about like learning about, I mean, I know so much about my cancer and I've learned about uh, options, but there is a fine line in how much time you spend on that. So like if you're going through like, a divorce and you're like, how does a single mom, you know, come back from this, go Google all the successes of single moms in seven figure companies. And you'll find hundreds of thousands of them. And again, it's all to trick your brain. I'm all about tricking my brain into belief because belief is what's going to really push you through. And belief is, you know, I really believe my faith and truly I tried to behave in a way that was showing my body that I'm going to be here. We made decisions showing that I'm going to be here. We didn't hesitate to like buy a house, buy a car, all the things that some people are like, well, am I going to be here? You know, when we invested into our taste syndicate, it was a hundred thousand dollars that we invested me and my husband. And I had just gotten news that I was only, you know, I had a three to six month survival rate and we wired that money because we were like, this is showing that I have no plans for not being here for the next 12 months. And because I would rather die giving it my all like I always say this to people what does it hurt you to have belief in yourself in things like you know some people are like well that's just like you know not even like being in reality I disagree because I would much rather have the positive belief in faith than get to the end and be like man I should have believed <laughs> you know like I'd rather live in the happy fairy tale right now through the whole cancer journey and maybe if I would have been told differently that you know I still wouldn't have regretted living in in faith so 
Um, you know, I think that that has been, you know, but initially, no, I didn't handle it that way. But I, I really believe that the first thing people need to do when they're in a struggle is go look for successful opposites so that your brain starts to gravitate, you know, what you focus on expands. I don't want to be focusing on, on all the deaths. At first I was in all the forums and I was meeting people that then would pass away and like, it would get me scared. And then I'm like, Hey, I'm all about educating myself, but I need to like get on the other side of this. Yeah. I love that. Cause, um, yeah, there's so many people I know. I, and I like how you, I don't know, you put it out to the world. Do you have any reservations about other people putting negative energy on your situation? Or are you just so in the belief that like, I am kicking the shit out of cancer, like miracles happen. I'm expecting good news. I'm sharing with the world. It doesn't matter what other people project on it because my belief is so strong because other people's energy, like sometimes I'm afraid to put stuff out there because other people's energy affects it or can kind of taint it maybe. I don't know. It, it can if you allow it. And I think like when we don't share it, we are unconsciously telling ourselves we don't believe in ourselves. It's like when we have a big mm -hmm. dream on our hearts, if I don't share that. Like, I love that Tom Bilyeu always shares that he's going to be bigger than Disney media. Do I think it'll happen? I have no idea. But what I love is he is so bold in sharing that. Now, most people would think he's crazy because Disney is Disney. But if he didn't share that, you know what he's telling himself? It's not going to happen. It's not going to be true. So I am a big believer in, yeah, you got to put your tunnel vision on. I mean, make sure that your circle is very supportive of you. My doctors really knew I was on a mission and that while I'm totally open to hearing the stats and things, they knew that I needed to stay in my lane. And I mean, I'm not going to be crazy and not take my medication and do all that. Yes, I believe in miracles, but I also believed in doing the things that they were instructing me to do and, you know, doing my part. But the moment people were being negative in, in my place, I'm like, nope. And, and I didn't want to stop sharing it because I knew that that would me, be me um, doubting it. And that's mm. not faith. That's, that's just a hope. You know what I mean? That's just, I hope I'll make this kind of money. I hope I'll lose that weight. You know, a lot of people are afraid to share like even their, their fat loss goals with their family. And I always say, if you can't share that, you're still telling yourself, you're not going to get there. It's like keeping the clothes that are bigger, too big for you, get rid of them because otherwise you're unconsciously saying this is the back. This is plan B is to go back into that. Right? No, that's so powerful. Kind of filter out your filter out your circle if you need to and stay with the blinders on and yeah, putting it out there. That's yeah. yeah. So powerful. Um, how did you deal with, uh, the conversations with your kids as you navigated, like through the cancer journey, did you have open conversations? We did. Um, I shielded, you know, the first couple of years I didn't shield it. And then I did see that my children, you know, my oldest daughter would have like kind of anxiety issues in school and not, you know, do as well. Um, I think again, that it's like your behaviors are what are the most, you know, um, powerful to them. And this is why it was really important for me to continue to work. And, you know, I always said that the more pain I was in, the more makeup I put on, because it was like, I really did want, and I do believe in, in clothed cognition and that when you stay in the PJs and you stay all in that quote unquote frumpy place, you feel frumpy. 
So I made it a point every day to get up and get dressed and like put my makeup on. And that was in, it's different for everybody, but for me getting my workout clothes on just put me in a different energy space. And so my kids could see that. And so that also kept them more at ease because this last, you know, time with cancer in December, I lost about 20 pounds in just a short, you know, maybe like nine to 10 weeks. And that really scared my kids because they were so used to seeing me, um, you know, fight it and this I just couldn't hide you know my face was getting really skinny you know and had I just been laying in bed I think that would have even made them more scared because they were getting to a point where you know my daughter came crying to me and she's like please just you know eat something you know and so I I do think that you know it's our, our behaviors are what they see the most and you know I did have conversations with them that you know, I'm going to do the best I can, you know, I really believe I will beat it. And, you know, they were praying for, you know, miracles for me and praying that I would be the less than 1%, you know, but I know after the fact, they've shared with me, you know, this year that they were scared, you know, they were really, really scared. And, um, you know, and that makes me sad that they kept a lot of that inside because, you know, kids want to, you know, control things as well when they feel like their world is out of control. So, you know, I feel like, I mean, even, you know, some of my kids are in therapy for that just to, you know, it was very traumatic for our family and a big fear that they, you know, I can't imagine holding on to that, right. Just energy wise, it's, it's anxiety, it's PTSD, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I think, yeah, that's such a great thing that they're in therapy going through that because I, we just hold on to so much, especially as kids and don't have that outlet where you're being strong or sto- stoic, I can't even say the word, stoic for your, your parent being like the strong one in that situation. But yeah, that what a gift that you showed up that way for them, showing them like getting dressed, getting, going to work planning for your future, buying the things, making the move, investing the money, doing all the things to, to show them and still living like the best life, the best every day, uh, while you went through it, that hardship comes, we all go through, like you said, whether it's like weight loss, divorce, uh, losing someone, cancer, like you know, there's up and ups and downs all the time. So I guess when you get into, I think you're so, it's so powerful sharing your message because when you get into that mindset and when you plan your days for success and you're living in your purpose and you're, uh, intentionally setting out the joy and all the things that kind of light you up, then you can kind of make it day by day through whatever your, your kind of whatever hurdle is being thrown at you. Yeah. And just seeing it day by day. I remember doing a, an interview with, um, Chad, um, I can't Chad. Why can't I think of his last name? He's a Navy seal loved having him come on the podcast. And and he talked about, that's the mistake people make is I'm all about having like my five-year goals, but in the moment, in the moment of struggle, you have to stay day by day by day because it will overwhelm your brain and you'll see people's bodies even like break down. You know, he saw that a lot with um, being a Navy SEAL. And then he's like a long, long run, like endurance runner. And he says, he's like, the people that are looking ahead are the ones that they, they lose, you know, whereas all of us can handle the pain for a day. So like, if I was just to isolate, like if you have a horrible, horrible day, 
you do have to tell yourself, I can do anything for a day. And then you deal with it the next day because you start to see, like he said, he goes, anyone could actually pass like, cause you know, in Navy SEALs, they have what's called hell week. And it's like all these obstacles for the whole week. But he said to me, he goes, you know, Amy, in isolation, everyone could pass every single one of those because it would just be seen as just one, you know, obstacle. And that's what you, and, and he goes, and if people would just stop and look at the one obstacle and just finish that one obstacle, they do it all. Cause he was not an athlete. That's why I was so impressed by his story was he was not like this athlete at all. And he ended up becoming one of the best Navy SEALs, you know, ever. And he's like, it's, it's here, it's in our mind, you know? So it is taking it one day at a time. And, you know, people always say it, but it is the truth. It's like, you do need to listen to that and go, okay, I can you know, dieting, I can say no for a day to all these things that are tempting me. Or if you have a spending problem, I can say no to online shopping for this one day, you know? Right. Yeah. I know if you would have started your weight loss journey, looking 90 pounds in the future, like I'm going to drop 90 pounds, there'd be no way that you would stick to the plan because that's just, just it. Yeah. Oh, it feels, it feels like forever. I mean, it took me a year and a half, like, and, and also learning that you're not going to be perfect. Like, I think that that's the key too, is I was trying to be perfect for so long. And it's probably why I had been on so many diets. When you start to realize and like, accept that you are going to, it's never going to be linear, even saving money, all of those things. It's never going to be this linear, like progress. It's going to be a little bit up and down, but again, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning when you fail how quick are you going to get up? Cause I'm telling you now, and I say this everyone, I'm getting up faster than anybody. Like that's the separator with all of us. Everybody fails. Every seven, eight figure earner I know has massive failings, but the separator is they get up a lot quicker than everybody else. Right. So what are your, do you have any other tri tips or hacks or anything that you, that you use daily or that you I, you know, every day I do what's called anchoring, which is like a mindset, you know, I call it like my software update. So I have a file on my phone that is called my best self anchoring. And I save in there images, I save in there memes that have good quotes. And then I save in there, I have about seven different podcast episodes that and I, and I like to keep it really small because you don't want to be using it for like your personal development time because that's learning new information. This is a time for you to reiterate what is important to you. So for example, I have Ed Milet's podcast called Unlocking Your Success Code. It's an hour and a half long and I, don't, I only listen to about 10 minutes of it, but I've listened to that episode over 45 times now over the last two years and I consider it my software update. So you have to find things that really like fire you up, you know, like I've got a couple of Tom Billy's in there. I have one from Andy Frazella in there. You know, you can, you know, you have to find what really works for you. I keep it in this file. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm not allowed to go on social media or anything for the first hour. And what I say in my note, I'll go to it right now so I can read it. Um, so I have it saved. It says, it actually says cyborg anchoring slash best self slash let's get loud. This is 10 minutes. I'm rotating through these in the morning and it's got one, two, three, four, five, six different podcast episodes. And then I also have like on audible David Goggins book and Tim Grover's book that I've saved clips from, and I go listen to those. And so every, and I do it sometimes if I'm feeling like I'm coming down from my high in the afternoon. I go do a 10 minute anchoring practice because again, I see my computer brain. My brain is this computer that 
needs a software update because I know that we are truly designed to be our best selves. So when we start to come down from that, it's a primal feeling and it's coming from the world. It's not coming from what is sewn into us. And so I get back on that. So every day it's almost like my therapy. It's my drug that I have to take every day to remind myself that I am destined for greatness. I do have purpose. I can get through things. I, you know, I will work for it. And I think that that's a big game changer for anyone. You know, I mean, I used to, my therapist that I was working with, she's like, do a second anchoring walk. Cause especially when I had fear with my cancer, I had to create an album just for that. And so I would wake up in the morning in fear. And so when I started anchoring, I didn't wake up feeling that way. And if I started to get that way in the afternoon, I literally would just shut off my computer, get outside, put my headphones on and just go into a 10 minute anchoring practice. And I'd come back and be like, all right, I feel better. So it is just, it's being proactive, you know, and it is, it is sitting down and making a folder like this. You know, you do need to do some homework ahead of time so that you're not just a pinball in a pinball machine and the pinball machine is life. And you're kind of just going with whatever get wherever you get hit. Right. I don't want to be the pinball. I want to be the pins that gets to decide where it's going. Well, I love that. So true. And yeah, I think in different areas of your life, um, having that anchoring, I know I was kind of introduced to that maybe a few months ago, the anchoring. And I'm like, shit, like, how do I show up as my best self? Like, I want to be Mary Poppins at work, a spoonful of sugar, like riding other people's energies, six and seven year olds, like a whole class of like the emotional roller coaster. Like I need to set myself up and become Mary Poppins. And before I walk in the room, because if I don't do that, then it is constantly, yeah, reactive, reactive, reactive all day. And at the end of the day, you're like, holy shit, like what just happened? Whereas when, yeah, spending that time and anchoring in and yeah, totally sets the tone. It changes the energy. Uh, yeah. Sets you up for success. So I love that you're sharing that little tidbit because I think, yeah, in so many different situations, like getting in a situation where somebody where you don't have the greatest boundaries with someone, how are you going to show up for that? How are you going to show up for, I mean, there's so, I could probably. Well, so many areas. I mean, I have anchoring in five different areas. So, cause I have it as a mother anchoring. Like I tell people all the time, if you work out of the home, when you come home and you get in your garage, open up your anchoring album for momming and momming might show like pictures of you with your kids, maybe letters from your kids. It's the reminder of, I need to give them my attention. Let's say when I go on business trips, I've been at masterminds. I'm actually like an introvert, extrovert, like here I'm super outgoing, but you put me in a group of people, I get my energy from being by myself. So I have to anchor like prior to going down, I like go through, I call her name is Renee Blakely. I name all my characters and it's like after Sarah Blakely and my girlfriend Renee off Instagram. And I literally like anchor and channel that. And I'm like, this is how she shows up. This is what she's going to do. Eventually you want to become these characters and that's what happens over time. But until then, man, you gotta, you, you do have to anchor it or else I'm just reactive, you know, like I'm then a reactive mom, or maybe I bring business home with me, or maybe in my, you know, marriage, I'm just talking too much work. I need to also transition into that too. So I have them in five areas and I keep those notes and I have pictures because pictures are really powerful for our brain. It's like the reminder of why I'm doing this or the reminder of why I want to show up this way. And uh, that helps. 
Love it. Um, what are some of your greatest uh, lessons along the way through your uh, through all the challenges that have come your way? I know that we didn't talk about um, like your intro to your podcast about giving up a baby at 18, having an affair that ended your marriage, and we, we got into the cancer. So what are some of like the greatest lessons or transformations that you can share um, maybe with the, the audience to kind of lead them sure. forward? You know, that you're, you can change who you are. You can make mistakes because I've had some things that have happened to me and I've had things that I have done to myself, meaning like my affair is totally on me. My cancer, I didn't ask for that. But I think, you know, going back even to like my adoption is one that everything happens for you. Like it does. And if you can see the world that way, it will change. You know, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. So with that, I try to find a silver lining in everything. Like it doesn't, it could be like the tiniest little negative thing in the day. I'll go, yeah, but, and I'll look for that, that positive spin on it, you know, because they're always, because if the world is happening for you, then that just happened for you. You know, the, the fender bender happened for you, you know, and that is really hard for people to grasp. And I think that that changes it. And when I look back at, you know, say my affair is we can change. Like we don't have to stay being those people. I'm not proud of that person at all, but if I would have just thought that that was my lot in life and this is who I'm going to label myself as, um, then I probably would still be in that same cycle. And instead it was like, what am I going to learn from this? And what can I do to show, you know, growth and change? And now I'm thankful for that person. You know, I really am because it's helped me now to share with others that person. And if I wouldn't have had that, then I, I wouldn't be able to share it. Same with my adoption, you know, like, so I think it's like, it's, it's going through a, a, a season to learn not to judge yourself, you know, that we have to learn from it. I mean, I read Gabby Bernstein's judgment detox twice because people that judge themselves are heavily judges of others. And I was heavily judgment on others, which I'm like, who are you now? <laughs> I, I, I don't say anything. I really try to stay neutral with, you know, what I'm seeing in front of me, because I do believe we are we, we should want to be always speaking out of love. So if I'm having primal feelings like judgment, negativity, you know, anything towards someone or something, I stop and go, okay, this is not of God. This is not of the positive universe. Like, where is this coming from? And it could be a trigger that is, again, what is this showing me? What am I learning from this? And that's the biggest gift we can give ourselves if we just stop judging ourselves so much and, just say, well, what am I going to learn now from this situation? Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's so true. Because when I even notice about myself, when I am very critical and judging myself, then I am doing the same to others. And I'm like, I don't want people to judge me. I want to be able to show up authentic to who I am um, and not be judged for it. But then, okay, if I want to show up as myself, then I really need to step back and not be judging other people when they show up as them, as their selves. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you recently had a miracle take place in your life with cancer. Can you share how that miracle unfolded? Well, you know, I, crazy enough in 2018, I thought that I had my miracle and that was, you know, five years into almost six years into battling cancer 
in that, you know, I'd had a spot on my iliac artery for years that they could not operate. They didn't want to operate on it because the risk to reward, it was right on this iliac artery. And so, and shrinking wasn't working. And finally we were able to have that surgery. Um, it shrunk enough that they could see that it wasn't in danger. But this last year, when my cancer came back, I knew that, you know, when it, when it comes back, you know, the chances you meet people that it's like second or third time, it's, that's the time that it takes them. And um, I had always feared that it would, you know, when I went into my remission in 2018, it was like, I thought I was going to see rainbows and unicorns and be really, really thrilled about it. And I was, but then about a week later, it's like the fear of what if it comes back? And so I always say that when my cancer came back, it truly was a blessing for me because I'd had this fear that it would. And so when it finally, I was face to face with it, it was like, all right, I can handle this. You know, when I realized that I can actually handle this news, I can, I can deal with this. It's actually better than sitting in the unknown because now I can put on my armor and I, Amy, you just took, you went to the worst case scenario, which was worst case, it comes back. So when it came back, um, you know, I was set to have surgery in January. Um, we had it all scheduled because I was actually, um, they were coordinating with two doctors, one that was going to do my explant because where my tumor was back, it was back in my lungs. And so um, they were like, we're already going to be in there. They'd already struggled to get imaging due to my implants. And so I was like, I want to get them taken out anyways. This is just a new journey for me. So we had everything set up for January 20th. I was, I did a radiation and chemo in December, probably the hardest of all, you know, seven plus years of fighting. I'd never been on so many different compounds to um, just fight it. You know, I lost quite a bit of weight in a short period of time. And then in um, beginning of January, I went in for some scans and I had done a podcast in December saying, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not going to need surgery. Like, I'm just going to continue to visualize this and really believe that, you know, I am going to have the miracle because I knew that the surgery was going to be extremely risky. It was, you know, like a six hour operation. Um, and so January 8th, I went in for scans and I went to Moffitt Cancer Center here in Tampa and just again, went into it going, you know what, they'll call me in a couple of days, I'm going to have this great news. And I had friends really believing that for me. And I kind of knew the system is that, you know, when they schedule a Skype call, you know, my doctors from MD Anderson, I know that it's usually not great news, because they want to sit and explain it to you face to face. And typically, they will tell you in the morning that they're scheduling a call, like I already know kind of the system, right? So I didn't get a call. So then I thought, well, is this good news? Is this bad news? But then I didn't get any news for a while, like the days progressing, I know that they had gotten my results that morning. And, you know, I think this is like that place where a lot of us then start to doubt, right? It's like when the path's not necessarily clear for us, or you're starting, you know, it's just little things. And I just, you know, I kept leaning into it, but, you know, knowing that, Hey, I've accepted other, you know, realities, but we were just hoping for some shrinkage because the less mass, and if it was more clearly defined, they knew the surgery would be better. So I was just praying for all that. And then, um, they called me and they said, we're baffled here because they knew that they'd seen progress with my radiation, but nothing like we don't see anything like this mass is gone. Um, we're not even going to do a surgery because we don't, you know, we don't need to even do explore. There's nothing there, you know, and um, it was insane. You know, I'd never, uh, I, I, I mean, I know we luckily got to record it because I had called uh, my husband and I called Christina and um, bawled my eyes out, you know, just a lot of relief. 
Um, but experiencing that, you know, really just brought a lot of hope to me again, because, you know, we've been in such a down time in, in life. And, but I would argue that it's because of our, what we're seeing, what we're choosing to watch, what we're choosing to see, because there are in fact miracles everywhere, every single day, there's good news every single day, but it's what you're putting in your filter. And it made me realize at that point, like, I need to get back to this filter of hope and filter of always looking for the wins. I mean, I had done that at the beginning of my cancer journey where it was like, I tried to find every single person that beat it. And so, you know, it just reminded me that, you know, we all can, you know, hope for those things and know that we can expect those things, you know, um, and, and really leaning into, to the belief in it. You know, I really did think that I'm like, I didn't come this far. I had this up in my, in my office where it says I didn't come this far to only come this far. Oh, I love that. And I love how you say, um, you know, somebody who's given news like this, uh, that you still had the belief and the hope because, I mean, we can't really take at face value what somebody else um, hands us. We can decide to um, change our outlook and our mindset with it. And like you said, miracles are happening every single day all around us. So that is just so incredible how you got to experience one and yeah, keep, keep bringing the joy and staying in that, um, kind of in that lane, deciding what you're going to bring in. And like, that is yeah. so such yeah. an important takeaway for anyone listening. Like you have the decision to decide what it is that you are taking in every day. Yep. And that it's, it will make such a big difference, you know, just in your overall life, whether in, in all areas, you know, say, Hey, what's in my filter? What am I choosing to look at? What am I choosing to see? You know, um, because, you know, our, our reality is what we choose to, to, to create truly. And that's, what's going to manifest in the future. I mean, it's why you meet two people and one person is going to see the, lady in the parking lot doing the kind deed and the other person is going to see someone littering both of them are truths and both of them are there but the things that you focus on in life are are, are you know what you're going to gravitate towards and what you're going to hear and what you're going to listen to and and that's really what's going to you know shape you and I think you know secondly it's very easy for all of us to have faith for other people like I would hear this a lot during this like my time and sometimes it would almost like I'd be like rolling my eyes because people are like I have faith for you. But then the moment they have a flat tire or something very small in their life, they're like, life's over, blah, blah, blah. You know, like meaning like it's very easy to have faith for others, but the separator is when you're, and, and the only time you can test your faith is in attention time. You know, tension is the test. We can all say like, oh, I would do this. And I believe this for the future. And in the moment you're like at a fork in the road where you have to actually go all in on something, most people will not do that. And that's that, you know, most people have like belief, maybe even hope they don't have faith. Like faith is that I can't see it, but I know it. I know that this is what's going to happen. And I think more people need to try that, you know, focus on that and become a faith believer in all areas. Hey, I'm changing career paths. And I know I'm going to find something else versus I'm actually not, I'm going to keep my feet over here and I'll just keep like looking on indeed, but I'm not doing anything else action wise to show myself that I truly know I'm going to go somewhere else. Oh, I love that. 
Okay, so I want to end here with a round of one word or one sentence. So Ooh, I'm going to okay. say a word, or a, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay, cancer. Blessing. Vulnerability. Freeing. Mm, miracles. Joy. Joy. Yeah. I, I don't even know why that came to my mind, but I would say miracles, um, possibility, you know, truth. Like I think people don't, I think we, we're in a world right now. We're not really, we don't see all the positive because our media is just making it so negative. So you do have to see there's so many miracles still happening around us all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, bucket list. Oh, travel again. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Uh, mentors, Ed Milet, um, John Maxwell. Those are my two biggest ones. I would say John Maxwell, John Maxwell actively now. I mean, he's someone that I I'm so blessed. I am. That was a dream of mine, you know, crazy, crazy that I wanted just, he was one of my characters that I want to be like, and now I text and call him like, hello. Talk about true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. Uh, habits, habits, DACs, keeping my promises, Mm, the past pain, unworthiness, shame, the future, freedom, true authenticity and worthiness, faith. Without it, I would have nothing. Family everything to me forgiveness the best gift we give ourselves Mm -hmm. isn't it food oh freedom now so much love (laughs) (laughs) I know I love all the things I don't know I could never restrict myself so I love yeah yeah in your program it's about eating more or less because man there is so much good food out there I don't know how we can ever restrict ourselves from eating certain foods Uh, fitness, a catalyst for change for Mm -hmm. everyone. You know, I think everyone should have fitness goals, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Physically and mentally and emotionally, it just keeps you in check and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And formula. You got to have strategies, you know, it can't be just woo woo. They got to actually do the work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find your formula, whatever works for you and yeah, do the thing. Okay. So lastly, where can everybody find you and get more of you? Well, you can find me. I mean, Instagram is where I I love doing stories. You know, I'm not really like, I don't really push business there. It's more just to have fun. So Amy underscore Ladine, but also my website, which is amyladine.com. So it's L-E-D-I-N. It said Gledin, but it is Ladine. Um, And those are the two places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you did today. I know I feel like you have so much to offer the world and by you just kind of stepping up and sharing everything with us, it just gives people so much permission to, yeah, bring their mistakes, leave them behind and yeah, move forward living their best life. Thank you so much for having me, Candace. 
I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.